and we're recording. Ashley Gonzalez. Hello, hello. Appreciate you coming out to the show and uh, having a chat with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so uh, we worked together for I don't know how many years at JPS. How long were you at JPS? Well, I'm still there now, just part time, but uh, gosh, I've been there since 2016, I think. Okay. Okay, so I started in 2014, I think. Yeah, 2014 is when I started. And then I left 2019. So we had a few years hanging out together. A few good years. Yeah. Yeah. We'll say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Busy, crazy. So the reason, uh, main reason I wanted to have you on is, uh, you know, you're a nurse. You have adopted quite a few children. <laughs> and, Something like that. And I kind of want to hear where that, like, why? Like, why did you want to adopt kids? Well, I didn't think that I wanted to. We actually... Before I was a nurse, I worked in foster care. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, I have a How degree. Was that? that was hard. It was really hard. I uh, I was a case manager for kids in foster care, and so, well, the kids that had aged out of foster care. So when you turn eighteen, they kick you out, and you're basically homeless if yeah. you don't have a family. And so I helped them get housing and their GED and different things like that. Hmm. And then I was a house mom for an emergency shelter for foster kids from three to seventeen. Wait, so I didn't even know they had that. Break that down for me. Basically, if they can't place you in a foster home, they can look for a group home. Or if you, if the child has had plenty of complications in the foster home, they're running away, lots of behavior problems, then they'll put them in an emergency shelter until they can find them a foster home. Oh. So it wow. was it was crazy. I was it was like a one to eight ratio. So I was basically mom to these eight children, eight kiddos, and I was. 21 maybe golly yeah and so it was really heavy i mean just hearing fifth graders tell me about being raped and all these horrible horrible things i was just so unprepared for it and i got burnt out very quickly wow yeah so that's a we we everybody knows that the foster system it's like it's good intentions but when we get down to it, it there's a lot of issues you have houses that are taken on way too many children because they want that paycheck because they get all those fancy vape. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Um, have you seen a lot of that? So I would hear from the kids in the shelter that half of the group home, or half of the foster homes they lived in were the same, if not worse than the home that they came from. Oh, wow. I know. I know. And it really surprised Golly. me. And I, I mean, like I said, so much heavy stuff and, I, you know, I didn't grow up with a ton of hardship. And so I was just overwhelmed. How do we, how do we fix this? Cause uh, this is uh, probably the second or third time now on the show that I've heard of somebody either growing up in the foster care system or I've known somebody in the foster care system and it's, it's a joke. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, it's maybe a roof over the head, but sometimes I feel like homelessness would be better because you don't have the, uh, the family, the parents restricting you all the time, beating you, whatever, whatever the case may be. Cause you have little stories that pop out, you know? Oh, for so sure. Don't you think that sometimes it'd be even better to not even have a home like that? To well, and that's out? why so many of the kids ran away. Mm-hmm. And we would have kids run away from our shelter because it's not a family when you're just in a shelter with eight other kids and a 21-year-old. And so they would run away because they would feel the same way. And I mean, you can't really blame them. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a systemic problem and I think the only way to really fix it is to just get involved in some capacity and just advocate for the kids that you meet the best way that you can. So if, if you were at the top and you were able to 
um, change everything right now, right here, right now from the, from the, with the foster care system, how would you do it? I think one of the biggest things that needs to happen would be the CPS caseload that they would probably need better pay and less of a caseload. So it's lack of resources, lack of resources because they, I mean, they're so overwhelmed and they get burnt out because they don't have any support and it pays terrible. Mm-hmm. So what's the typical pay for, for a caseworker like that? Oh man, I'm, I'm thinking probably 30,000 mm. a year. <laughs> Mine was a little bit different and I didn't work for CPS. So, but I, I, that's probably maybe 40 if you're higher up, but I mean, barely, you know, survivable with the family. And there's a lot of overtime too. It's salary for a lot, a lot of, of them, right? And, and you're on call. So, so you can easily work 80 hours. Yeah. I mean, ex- exactly. And if one caseworker quits, it's not like the kids still need somebody. So those cases get spread out and you get more. And how many cases do you think a caseworker usually has? Just ballpark. Oh man. I think it's based on kids. So I think maybe like 12 to 15 kids. Oh wow. And so that's 12 to 15 court cases, 12 to 15 you know, visits a month and it's just, it's just a lot. Golly. And I feel like ours are now we're we have a really good one right now and, and she's overwhelmed and, hmm. but she's, I mean, she does her best. That's crazy. Okay. So, so you worked in the foster care system for a while. Yes. Um, you were very done. Very done. Then what happened? <laughs> so I had always actually wanted to be a nurse. And so I applied to an accelerated nursing program and got my BSN in about 15 months. Okay. What was your undergrad in before? Uh, psychology and Spanish. Oh, okay. So, That's right. Costa yes. Rica, right? Costa Rica. It's a good, it was a good time there. <laughs> Tell me about that. Oh, well, I basically went because I wanted to go to Costa Rica. I changed my major to Spanish to study abroad. And, and I actually ended up working for a month in an orphanage there. Oh, nice. And so that kind of just, I mean, that my heart's always been in social work and fostering and everything like that. I just, it wasn't a career for me. Mm. So Costa Rica, what part of Costa Rica were you in? I was in San Jose and then um, we went to Cartago, which is like an hour away from San Jose. Which way? Oh, goodness. I should know that. Up, down, left or right. Uh, Maybe left. We'll pick a a direction. (laughs) My my Costa Rican family would be sad. (laughs) But you really got to immerse yourself in that culture. Oh, absolutely. We lived with families. They only spoke Spanish to us. We traveled a lot. It's pretty interesting how like if you can jump into that culture that through like immersion, right? You're able to learn vastly more. You you pretty much you can't really um, have the choice to speak English in a lot of ways because that part of Costa Rica is mainly Spanish, right? I mean, I think it's kind of like how Texas it's mainly English, but if you only speak Spanish, you could get around. Gotcha. And so it's kind of, especially in San Jose, because San Jose is very touristy, mm. but I was a very intentional not to speak English and try to speak Spanish. And so I, I did learn a good deal and I speak Spanish a lot at work now. Yeah. It's kind of funny when you're, uh, we'd be taking care of a patient you just rattle <laughs> off like, no, nah, you need to do this in Spanish. Like, what, what? <laughs> it's very this helpful. small white chick over here <laughs> getting all Spanish on me. That was cool though. So how did that change your perspective on things? Because I, I personally think that you know, uh, moving or going to those type of countries. I mean, granted, Costa Rica isn't a uh, necessarily third world country. No, I wouldn't really say it is. Yeah, but it, it's not the United States. Absolutely. They're yeah. still fairly, you know, poor in a lot of areas. I mean, it's just like the United States, but also traveling to different countries gives you perspective on, on your life here. So how did that perspective kind of shape your social work passion in this place? 
Well, I, well, so the orphanage that we were at, um, or that I was at, I, I was basically in charge of the kiddos for a month there and just seeing the depravity of these kids. And I mean, it was, it's bad here, but it was definitely even worse there because there's so many less resources and there's so many less systems that are functioning well or people that are advocating for it to function well. And so just seeing that and just the government setup is different. And, and we went to Nicaragua for two weeks. Ooh, I love Nicaragua. I was, well, I didn't go to the fancy fun probably. No, part. we didn't. We, we did. We did like orphanages and okay. out of Managua. And- okay. Yeah. So we went to Managua and then I stayed with a family in some tiny town by Honduras that I couldn't even name right now. And I mean, we didn't have running water or electricity yep. And I mean, we killed a chicken and ate it for dinner kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And so that really, that put a whole lot in perspective for me to just take away from what I had known growing up and privilege and to just really see that not everybody has the same things that I have. Mm -hmm. So so I was able to take a lot of that back with me. And I mean, I think it was, I went for a good time and I came back with a whole bunch of life lessons. You know, perspective is so key in everyday life here. Um, whether you're from U.S. or from Nicaragua or Costa Rica, mm-hmm. you know, we lose perspective very easily here in the U.S. because we forget how blessed we are, how really good we have it. I mean, yeah, there are hard, we, everybody falls on hard times, um, but the level of living here is vastly different than you know Nicaragua, specifically Managua. We 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 would go once or twice a year to Managua um, for about five years straight. We became very good friends with uh, a group out there, Hogard de Fe. It was a church and a uh, orphanage out there okay um and i think i learned more from them than me going there to help them does that make sense they helped helped me a million times more than um what i think i could help them with you know and so you come back like really just hating america because of how (laughs) i've been there you know what i'm saying (laughs) i mean you really do like but those type of trips those type of uh experiences for me really shaped my entire life I did the same thing with Nigeria. Went to Nigeria, worked at a hospital for a couple of weeks. Um, Egg Bay is where it was called. And uh, probably the most life-shaping trip I've ever been on. Because we're, we're, we were about six hours away from the Boko Haram. Um, we'd pass by burnt churches, burnt school buildings. Oh, yeah, that's where my family died. And mm. oh, yeah, that's where uh, my uh, entire neighborhood got burned alive. And when they locked, mm. locked the churches or locked the school doors. And so you 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 get off the plane, you see you know, uh, tribesmen with AK-47s. You you have the worst roads possible, and their time, their concept of time is just vastly different. They actually don't have a concept of time. Like when you ask where you want to go, like hey, let's go in you know a couple hours. That could mean for them between two hours and twelve hours. Oh my word! They have no clocks anywhere. So ever since I got back from Nigeria, I actually took my watch off because I was so about time. Mm-hmm. I was always like to the minute. Every if if I was two minutes late somewhere, I'd be stressed out because I'm a, kind of, I'm more of the perfectionist side on that side of it. Yes, I'm very timely. <laughs> right? Yeah. But then you you go to a country like that, and they just kind of live life, yeah. and it's not pushed by minute by minute, you know, clock, time clock type stuff. You have to say if you actually want to go somewhere quickly, you have to say now, now. Hey, let's go now, now. <laughs> yes, we would call it a gringo time. Gringo time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so it's just vastly different, like. And, uh, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Nigeria, wherever you want to travel, concepts of their entire culture are so much different. And I personally think that everybody should, should be, before they should ever get into the workforce, they should go to a third country just to experience that perspective of life because we just lose it. And with the adoption stuff here, with 
the social work with all the CPS issues we have here. That's another one of those perspectives that people don't realize. And I want to hear more about. That's why I'm having you on. Yes. So I know that was full circle. <laughs> we kind of just rambled. But rambling is fun. Rambling is fun. So I don't know, man. Perspective. Um, so you you left the social work. You got your nursing license. Yes. Then what? So I did ER. I love ER. It's all I, it's, I'm full ER. There's nothing Ugh. else in me. I don't want to do anything You're different. Full of it. <laughs> full of it. So I'm doing some, the pediatric ER right now and um, I'm, I'm liking it, but it's, it's nothing to, compared to my county ER. <laughs> so we, you, uh, you bro. <laughs> so yeah, so that was one thing. And then we've been going to church in Fort Worth for a while. And, and the whole foster journey sort of started from there. I had had that passion. I put it away. Jared and I never really talked about it, my husband. Um, but we went to church one day and it was foster care Sunday. What church was this? We go to Watermark Fort Worth. Okay. So it was foster care Sunday and the pastor was talking about, you know, just fostering. And one of the things that he said was, if you have an empty room in your home, you should consider fostering. And I was like, cool, good talk. And then I like just left that out of my head. And, and so we get home to our apartment. We've been married for maybe like six months. And Jared's like, hey, we have an extra bedroom. Hmm. And I was like, no, we don't. Hmm. And that was kind of that. And I was just so closed off to the idea. Why? I, because I, I just knew how hard it was. It was so hard. I, I mean, it's not that I didn't want to help those kids, but... I just felt like I was unprepared. And so I said, no. And he was like, oh, okay. Hmm. And uh, Have y'all talked about this before? We hadn't talked about it before. He knew that I had done social work, but we had never talked about fostering. I had, I had thought about fostering a whole lot when I was growing up. Um, but it was just, I thought that that door was closed and that season of my life was over. Hmm. So uh, that was kind of that for a little bit. But the fact that he brought it up, made me start thinking about it again. And so I said, no, but I found myself praying about it. And I found myself thinking about it more. And a couple months later I said, all right, Jared, remember that empty room? And uh, he has, he was like, no, I don't remember that empty room. I don't want to do that. And so we kind of switched places. Hmm. And so we actually prayed on about, on about it for probably six to eight months. And we were both on the same page and we started taking the classes. Okay. So tell me about the classes. It's a lot. Yeah. So my parents did the same thing. Uh, we we did foster to adopt for a little while. Okay. And I think we had a family of three or four kids at one time. And I mean, we had to stop everything. It, this is whenever I was still growing up you know, with my parents. And, okay. And uh, it was intense. They went through a lot to be able to just get to that point. I can't. It would have been so much harder in our situation. Well, we've actually had to redo the classes this past six months. And so it's been harder this time around. But it's about 40 hours of in-person class. What do they teach you? Just how to raise or what? I mean, we had never been parents. We'd never been babysat together. So they essentially teach you how to parent kids from trauma and in mm. kind of like ways to the way they think. And, and so a lot of my psychology stuff kind of came back to me at that point. Um, and then it just helps you understand. I, we did an exercise and it was the child holding a, like a string and every person that they came into contact with held a piece of that string. And so they talked about caseworkers and different foster families and their siblings. And I mean, 
soon enough, there were like 10 different people that had just come in and out of this child's life in the matter of six months or kind of the attachments or detachment syndrome. Yes, exactly. And so that, that was very impactful for me. What are some of the things that, uh, they've taught you and that you've learned about children in that frame of mind? What do you mean? Like foster kids, you know, they, they talk about how you, you were saying how they're, a lot of classes are teaching you about how they think and where they're at. What is that? What did you learn? What did, what did you take away from that? Like, give me an example. Um, I would say that just there's no trust. I mean, to them, you are just somebody coming in and out of their life. And so it's not like, I mean, our situation is a little bit different because we were our kids' first placement, but most of the kids have been to several foster homes. And so when they come to your home, they're not necessarily thinking like, new family, Mm. I'm safe here. It's just like, oh, I'm here for a couple months. Like, I'll just make it work and then you'll boot me or I'll leave or something will happen. Mm. And it's just, it's sad. And and so they teach you to sort of think from a child's perspective and in some sense so that you're not getting frustrated and angry as like you would maybe a child who didn't experience trauma. Mm. Interesting. So what is, you went through about 40 hours of classes. What else? Um, oh my goodness. A substantial amount of paperwork. Yeah. So much paperwork, background checks, references, the, the home safe, like making sure the home inspection, home good, study. Right? I think home our study. home study was like eight hours. And there were, I mean, and we didn't even have kids then. So it was just eight hours of questions for Jared and I. Don't they like come in and like look at every nook and cranny of your house? I mean, everything, everything. And then they ask you very personal things that you're like, whoa. Like what? You know, like your sex life and Mm. all that kind of stuff. And you're just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Or like, have you ever had any problems with addiction or have you ever everything? Which I mean, I think is really good. Because going back to what I said about all of those foster homes that were not yeah. good. Well, how well, then why are those foster homes? Why, how did they get past the inspection? You know, I think so in Texas, foster care is privatized. And so there's different agencies. Really? Yes. So you I have to go through an that. agency. Um, you know, it could, uh, I think it's most of the counties in Tarrant County, maybe, or, uh, in Texas. It could be county specific, but I believe it's in Texas. So you have to go through an agency. And so the agency, depending on how good of an agency it is, is said, you know, they have, everybody has to meet minimum standards, but some of them go above and beyond. Hmm. And then in some places, CPS can license you. And like I said, you go back to, they're overwhelmed. There's so much. Wait, so just so I'm going to get this straight. The foster care system has now made a profit and a business off of children who don't have parents. I can't say that for sure because I'm not sure how the agencies get money. I'm just kind of curious if it is privatized. (laughs) If if that's the case, I'm going to Google this for private. (laughs) I mean, I know that I I know that there's some sort of financial like per kit. I don't know. I'm not, I can't say uh, for sure. Most everything is, is money. I just didn't really think of that. The foster care system could be privatized. Yes, because it's not, we're not getting licensed through CPS anymore. We're getting licensed through an agency that I don't know how they start and they work with CPS. So was, was CPS the main uh, entity before? Yes. Privatizing foster care in Texas. <laughs> so it is all of Texas. I just, t- I just typed in, uh, is Texas foster care privatized? 
Google knows. Google knows. Well, this is DuckDuckGo. Oh, well. You, know? you ever heard of that? <laughs> not, so. It's a web browser that uh, doesn't report all your stuff to Google systems. It doesn't, oh. like, on servers. All right. I'm, I'm a little. It's like sneaky Google. Well, it's, it's not. That sounds terrible. <laughs> like, I mean, you know how, like, everything you do and everything Yeah, like, we're Google, talking about something, and now I'll get an ad for Facebook yes. later. And, like, uh, Google will bring up different search results based on where you're at. Or if you're in a liberal country or conservative county or a state. That's so fun fact for you. There we go. All right, whatever. So yeah, so Texas ooh, Texas foster care is privatized. And I guess the good side of it is that it could bring the level of care up. It brings more resources for sure. Yes. From something that's already extremely under resources, under under resourced through CPS. Yes, because so agencies have a little bit lower of a caseload. Okay. And so, at least I, at least from what I feel, I don't actually know that numbers, but it seems like the, our agency caseworkers are a little bit less overwhelmed than the okay. CPS caseworkers. Okay. And so, I think it is helpful for them to um, put put that. You know, in some ways, that being privatized is a really good thing. Okay, so the good the good side is that the quality of care is, comes up. I think so. Kind of like sure. kind of like a county hospitals hospitals versus. Private hospitals, they do have, private hospitals do have a lot more resources typically yes, than county. Definitely. If you look at it here, it's Harris versus JPS. Yes. They can, <laughs> there's a lot of resources there that uh, JPS doesn't have. Correct. Um, so it sounds like it's the same thing with, with foster. So though foster care has been privatized and, and brings more resources to help people, the downside is that it's not regulated. Is that what I'm hearing? It's not regulated. It is regulated. As much? I, I honestly, I probably can't speak enough to like what the difference okay. is, um, but I do think it's overall helpful. Okay. I, I, there are some definite negative sides to it, but I, I don't think I know enough to be able to say, "Hey, this is bad yeah, or no, good." Or whatever. I'm definitely just curious about how, like, how it has become such a terrible system. Well, the privatizing is new. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, with time that will be helpful, but ultimately, I mean, CPS is still underfunded and understaffed and unless we fix that problem, it's just, and I mean, it, and I think that the other thing is that the goal of foster care is reunification. So CPS and everybody wants the family, the kids to be with their families. And sometimes that's the best choice. And sometimes it's not. But a lot of times you get these family members who just jump through the hoops and then get their family, get their kiddos back, and it's a terrible situation. And that happens. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like it happens a lot more than it doesn't. That's what it sounds like. It, you know, you probably hear the bad stories more than Maybe. you hear the good stories because mm-hmm. the bad That's stories are the ones that are going to be, you know, more well known. People that have their kids removed and then they work services and bring their kids home aren't necessarily going to be shouting that to the world. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so so what happened next? How'd you get to the next step? So we finally got licensed, and and how long before you started did you actually get licensed? How long did that take? Uh, probably about eight months. Okay, and did you? Is there a certain um, schedule that you adhere to for, or do you make your own schedule to get all? This you stuff just done? have to. You just have to get it done. So you, I, so we actually are having to get re-licensed right now. We just had our home study, so we're at about the five month mark now, okay. and so we could. I mean, you can do it faster. Or you can take a year. Yeah. It's kind of up to you. And what's the fastest typically? That I people think have that done we're it? one of the fastest right okay. now, and it's probably only because we were recently li- we have previously been licensed. Gotcha. So oh. it's it's more like six months to a year. I think would be the more yeah. of the normal, and they want to make sure that it's like what you really want to do. 
yeah. and that you're going to pursue it versus a fleeting thought. Mm. Okay. So we got licensed and then we waited for phone calls. And so we got one for two kiddos. It sounded like it was the first time that they had been removed and it was sort of like a physical abuse situation. We said yes and went to Target and like stopped what we were doing, went to get things mm. and got a phone call that they'd been placed with someone else. Oh. Which you know, happens sometimes. Yeah. And um, I'm hopefully, I don't know anything about them, but hopefully they're doing just fine. So we had that. And then about four days before Christmas, I was at work in the ER and I got a phone call. So I answered it and it was a CPS worker. And she just, they just immediately start talking to you about the child. Like you don't know that it's CPS, but it's like, hi, this is so and so from CPS. And I have three children. Oh, wow. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, hold on. Let me three way my husband. So they told us, they told us about um, Mia, Sophia, and Daniel and kind of their background and why they were being placed in foster care. And within 30 seconds, they're like, would you like to take them? Can Mm. you take them? Which was just a lot. Yeah. Walk me through how you felt. (laughs) Well, Jared and I had thought that we wanted to foster one baby. So it was very different than the phone call that we received. We're like, Lord, we will foster and be these foster parents to one <laughs> child under two. And just it's mm. just it's crazy what we thought we but were getting into. That's the typical. That's the typical. That's why a lot of the babies are unfortunately just taken up real quick because everybody wants a baby. Everyone wants a baby. Nobody wants a 15-year-old. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, it's not that we maybe couldn't in the future, but we had only been married for a year. And mm. so we were just like not prepared to take or we thought we weren't prepared to take all of this, this other uh, things that, uh, so, I mean, but we were just texting back and forth while this lady was talking and, uh, we actually were unable to take in all three at once, um, initially because we were only licensed for two. Mm. And so we took in. Oh, so there's different licensing. You you can yes, you can get your home licensed for however many uh-huh. kids, but we had only we thought we wanted one. I guess that makes sense. Yes, but we were like, okay, well, we can license for two just in case. Hmm. And so I don't even know why they called us. They said it was because it was Christmas and they'd been calling all day and couldn't find a place for these oh kids. They pulled at all my heartstrings and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, Jeez. Yes. They were like, they're going to be alone for Christmas. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> so uh, we texted back and forth and, and, you know, we were like, Hey, we can only take, we can only take two. And so we took in Sophia and Daniel. Daniel was 15 months and Sophia was two and a half. Was this your, the, one, the ones you have now? The ones we have now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they, I got off work at seven and they were at the house by 730. Oh <laughs> so you, they literally came that. Night. Yes. I think they called us at like 430 PM. Oh my gosh. And, and they would have come earlier, but I was like, I am at work. <laughs> Are you allowed to tell the story of, of the kids? Um, yeah, I can, I can talk about the story with the kids and there, you know, there's some details that are private, but, yeah. um, you know, really they just. People love them and their and their family love them. It just wasn't a safe place for them to stay. Mm. And um, you know, looking back, I'm I'm very thankful for all of the people that were in their lives because they did, they did love them. And mm. it ended up not being a place that they could stay with forever. But I'm I'm thankful for the people that went out of their way to take care of them when maybe their parents were unable to. So Man. 
yeah. I can't imagine just having to make that choice, like to give up my son or my, cause you know, I have a son and a daughter, like right. to give, to make that choice to say, Hey, there's a better life for you. We need to give you up for adoption. That's what a, I mean, hard, what a hard thing. It's even like with all the kids at the border, right? You know, the, the families who are sending, having to send their kids to a better life or they're trying having to send like one of my, as a friend of a friend who has, uh, I think his daughter, like he was vice versa. Some family member, the mom had to send her four-year-old son to the United States from, I think it was Mexico. Mm. And because she was living in, you know, cartel land and she didn't want her son growing up in all this. And it was, she kind of, uh, overall the uh, situation was her making the choice to send her four-year-old son to the U.S. with her cousins. I mean, can you imagine just having Ugh. to give your own son or your own daughter away to, I mean, thousands of miles away to for a better life? And that sounds like that's what the case with this family is. Maybe, so, maybe somewhat. not. I mean, I wouldn't say that it was, I mean, there but was you, a but lot more stories. Involved, but yes. Yeah. It, but it, you, hear, you still hear those same stories. And I know there are people like that, you know? Absolutely. And, and you know, looking back, like, I don't hate their parents. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any malintent. They were just stuck in, mm-hmm. in their sin and their addiction. And I think learning from the ER, like I remember doing CPR on somebody once that had overdosed on heroin, they woke up and they left against medical advice and just the depravity of that situation being so addicted to a drug that it literally killed you for a moment. You woke up and left it just puts so much into perspective of the deepness of sin and addiction. And so it's, I just, I don't, I, I don't, I know I thought I would hate any child's parents, but I just can't, I just can't hate them. Well, so. I mean, the sin, we talk about sin and, and those bad choices. It's those type of decisions are not only deeply rooted, but I mean, you can, quote unquote sin in a variety of different ways. So it's hard, really hard to hate somebody for their sin just because they sin differently than you. Exactly. And that's not the case. I don't know the story of these parents, you know, these uh, parents of these kids. Um, But it is like, they're kind of stuck in a prison. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like that's the case for a lot of people in that situation as well. Yeah. and, And I think that I'm very thankful because we always had a good relationship with the kids' parents, their biological parents, and then some extended family as well. And we actually, still we still see one of the uh, the grandmas. Oh, wow. And so the kids have a relationship with her. And, and I, you know, I think huh. that's good because our goal was to never take, was never to take away them from somebody that loves them mm-hmm. in a safe place. She just wasn't physically able to take care of them. Hmm. And so I'm thankful and the kids are happy when yeah. we get to, to be together with her. How long have you had the kids now? So we have had them since December 21st, 2018, and we adopted okay. last July. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. We're so, so happy. I want to hear more. So you, you, that first day you get them, how was it like adjusting? It was terrible. Yeah? It was horrible. Yeah, oh, my word. Yeah. I mean, they're going to grow up one day and be like, really? Was it that bad? I'm like, yes. <laughs> it was so bad. But you know, it was, it was just it was a transition. It was trauma. It was traumatic to... I think the biggest part was that we had to split them up and mm. we thought it was temporary. We thought it was a two week 
you're with us until they can find someone that can take in all three. So lots of every hour we were awake because someone was screaming every single hour for weeks. We woke up to screaming and we had never, like I said, never even babysat together. So we Mm. were like, is this normal or two year old supposed to do this? Mm. We have, do you guys have siblings? I do. Yeah. We both have siblings, but you know, you don't, I I don't remember. And so it was, it was really hard and I was miserable and I was like, Lord, why are we doing this? Like, I don't want to be doing this. This is not fun. This is not the baby that we thought it was going to be. And it was rough. And then it kind of just got a little less hard and, you know, why were they screaming? I think it was some with, I think it was just trauma. I'll, I'll probably have to leave mm. it at that. It was just, just being taken away from their family mm. and whether or not it was a good place for them to be, you know, maybe not, but just the fact that they've lived their whole lives with these people and then they're taken away and put with strangers. Mm-hmm. And how old were they at this point? So they were one and a half and two and a half. Okay. And then we got Mia about a month later. Okay. And, and things did improve. And they're the oldest one. She yes, she was four. Things improved a whole lot after that, and, and I okay. think honestly that it's probably because they all slept together. Man, you know that's I know, oof. and and so I have this ongoing forever mom guilt about separating them, and you know I. We that's didn't not something you could help, though. There's nothing we could have done, yeah. but I just still like some every once in a while, Mia will be like, "Remember when I lived with." my other foster mom and we weren't together and I'm like, Oh my goodness. Mm. And I cry about it. <laughs> and does, does she still remember her actual mom? She does. No. She does. Yeah. She, she was older. So and do they still see the kids at all? The parents? No, no, they don't. So, um, we had kind of set up an agreement, but it just, it just didn't work out. And so we, they don't, but we are thankful at least that we get to see grandma. I know you've been very private for pretty much this entire time. You've always covered the faces when they're on social media. Yes. Why is that? So any child in foster care cannot have their face on social media. Why? Uh, for safety. Mm. So um, if somebody knows that we're foster parents and then they see a photo of our foster child, then... Or if like, or say the parents, the biological parents are looking for them, find you. It's just not, it's just a safety thing. It's just a rule. So, but now I get to show them off to the world. I see that. Yeah. (laughs) It's really cool to see that very first picture without the uh, uh, hearts on their faces. Adorable. (laughs) Have you run into any issues like with the whole danger thing you're talking about where it's kind of a dicey situation, maybe in this we situation. We haven't, thankfully. You know, and, and I, we've always, like I said, been on good terms with their biological parents. And I think that that's great because they know that we don't hate them. They know that their their children are in a safe place. And, but, but I have had friends that are fostering whose foster children, the parents have said, be mean to them. They're tell, telling them to cuss them out. Jeez. They're trying to find the where they live. It can be a very scary situation depending on who the family is. You know, what connections. They're are there? desperate to get their children back, and even after all. Yeah. Jeez, man. So, I know a lot of um, the first question that people go to whenever you hear of of a couple or whoever adopting, the first question they go to is, "What you don't want your own." <laughs> so I'm sure you've gotten that. Oh a lot. yes, I've gotten a lot of it's things. It's kind of a it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird awkward comment. It's I don't think people realize that as well. Like, 
just be like, uh, it's, it has become taboo in, in a good way in some ways, because um, asking those two newly married couples or couples in general where restrictions and maybe health issues prevent couples from having children um, makes it awkward to even talk about starting your own family. Oh, did, absolutely. Did, did you run into any of those situations as well when you first started trying to adopt? Well, most comments? recently at the park a couple days ago, we were, well, we were talking to somebody because they asked us how far apart our kids are. And my daughter, my biological daughter is about 15 months and we have a foster daughter who's about eight and a half months younger. Well, it's obvious that there's, I mean, they're different races, mm-hmm. so they're obviously not twins. And so the, the dad of the park was like, Oh, is it free to adopt through foster care? That's free? why you did it. That's why you did it. Good for you. Y'all are smart. <laughs> so Dang. yes. And I, uh, What'd Jared, you say? I just, I educated him that. I educated him. <laughs> try to, There's the nurse coming out. Like that. <laughs> I probably educated the patient that they need to take the medicines at this time. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, because he's just ignorant. He's just, and, you know, getting mad at him wouldn't have changed anything. But instead I was able to be like, hey, I mean, that's not why we did it. It is free, but the goal of foster care is reunification. And that's what I told him. I was like, so if, if you're looking to adopt only, this is not the route for you. So you you were doing foster to adopt? We were just fostering. We actually okay. had, didn't necessarily have intentions to um, adopt initially. We hadn't tried to have kids. I didn't want to be pregnant. Yeah. I thought it would be terrible. It, it was terrible. So I just hadn't wanted to That's be That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. You just had another one. <laughs> another yes, one. Another one. Another one. How old, how old is your kiddo? Um, your Selena, most recent one. <laughs> well, the one that I birthed yes. is, is uh, 15 months. Okay. So we have a five month old, 15 months, three, almost five and six. Wait, hang on, back up. So yeah, your five month old is one you adopted? The five-month-old is the one that we're currently fostering. Fostering, yes. Yes. Okay. And then you have your own that you that you birthed. Yes. Lena's 15 months. And then you had the older three? Yes. And the older three is what you started with? Yes. The older three okay. is what we started with. Wow. Wow. So zero to five and less than four years of marriage. We'll be married four years in June. Wow. <laughs> How has that been on y'all's marriage? You know, I have a really good husband. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I, there's nothing, nothing bad to say. And, and I just, I mean, I definitely couldn't do without him. That's, I mean, that's it. I it's, it's been really good. We have uh-huh. a really good marriage. I'm so thankful to be married to him and that it's not like, I mean, when we got our youngest, we, it was kind of an unexpected situation and he was just like, yep, I'm in. And that's huh. that. And I mean, how many, Men out there go from zero to five kids and they're rocking it. Mm, yeah. I don't yeah. Know anybody. <laughs> Lots of Jesus and, and he's a really good man. So. Wow. Um, how was the response been from your church? Really good. I, I love, I love Watermark Fort Worth. We have had several different meal trains. We've had, I mean, at the beginning we didn't have anything because mm. well, we had a crib, we had a nursery cause we thought we were getting one baby. And, um, so we didn't have beds, we didn't have clothing, we didn't have anything at all. And people just dropped things off at our house. We didn't really pay for anything. We had everything that we needed, Hmm. everything that we needed. And, and so, you know, everybody isn't called to be a foster parent, but the Lord does call everybody to be involved in orphan care. And that's exactly what the people at Watermark did for us. What would you say to somebody who maybe does not share the same views as you? About being involved in orphan care? No, religion. 
because you've referenced like your source for all this that you were called for this. Yes. And um, I, I mean, the I think that need for helping people is inside of everyone. Um, but for somebody who maybe does not share your same beliefs and you're, you're encouraging them, you know, well, God called me. Um, how would you talk about that in, in a different way for somebody who may not believe in God? Well, I would probably tell them about God. <laughs> I mean, but you, you know, I do. I, I know what you mean. I know that there are there are plenty of foster parents that don't share the same beliefs as I do. I just looking back over the course of everything that happened, I would have definitely been at the end of my rope. And so it's really hard for me to imagine just doing this because I am a good person. Because I don't necessarily think that about myself. And so, you know, I'm not saying that anybody can't do this. But at some point, like if you don't have a place that your strength comes from that can really not falter, then it's really hard. And it's, I don't know, I, I couldn't do it. So it's hard for me to even imagine being where we are now without the strength of the Lord. You'd probably have to ask another foster parent mm-hmm. that didn't believe in God what they thought. <laughs> I, was, I was just kind of curious, you know, this people are going to hear this who yeah. may be wanting to foster or adopt, excuse me, um, but they also may not share the same beliefs as you with the source of why you did it, you know, the yeah. source of good works. And um, I guess I would say that somebody, I mean, I guess I'd plead to parents, like if you have a child you know how much you love that child and imagine that child being in a situation where they don't have enough food or being in a situation where their parents are always high and they forget to take care of you or a situation where that child is being molested. Like mm. would, how, how you would do anything to take your child out of that situation. Yeah. Well, that's happening right now in Tarrant County in whatever County you live in. And so for you to, I mean, I, I remember this yeah. quote and it says like, you can choose to look the other way, but you can never again choose to believe that you didn't know because now you know about it. Mm. And yeah. I mean, you're responsible for it in a sense because you know, it's happening and you're choosing to ignore it. Yeah. Have you heard of any rumors with like sex trafficking in the foster care system? Oh, for sure. Okay. What do you know about it? Um, I just know that. Substan- there are substantially higher rates of it in in the foster care system. Of like, sex trafficking? Of sex trafficking. So then why would anybody want to go to the foster care system? What do you, you mean? Because there's such a high risk of, or maybe not high risk. I don't know what the risk is. There's a good risk for, you know, like imagine, you know, I'm a, if I'm a 15-year-old female and I hear about these rumors from the foster system, I'm going to do everything I can not to be there. Oh, teenagers it, Teenagers do not want to be in foster yeah, care. They're yeah. so close to being done. Yeah. You know? And they're in and their head, they've been doing deadly, it forever. Oh, that, that idea of, of trafficking in the foster care system just is oh, yeah. irks me. Oh, yeah. So, how do we get past that? But honestly, runaways have similar instances of being trafficked. And so... It, this just kind of feels like a lose-lose mm. situation for teenagers, I think, at that point, because mm. they're in this horrible living environment. Foster care is also horrible to, to them. And running away, like you're a lot more likely to be picked up 
by somebody that's willing to quote unquote help you and then kind of just go back in that rabbit trail. And so it's just, it's really hard for teenagers. And maybe one day when we're a little older, we might be able to, to take on a teenager. Mm. So you initially just got into this to, to help children yes. through fostering. Yes. You didn't want to adopt. We, we weren't like closed off to it, but it wasn't our goal. So what changed? We At just really loved the yeah. kids. <laughs> Yeah. We Was just, it like one day they're like, Hey, uh, they, they want to adopt. Do you want to adopt? About three months in CPS asked us if we wanted to adopt and, oh, wow. and we went to Costa Rica to visit Jared and I, he had never been there. We took, we had already had a vacation plan. So we, um, we went without the kids on vacation. We decided there we want to adopt them wow. and we know what it looks like and then know it's going to be hard, but this is what we want. Oh, so they're from Costa Rica. No, they're not. No. We just went on a vacation. Oh, okay. well, that's awesome. <laughs> It's almost like a baby moon. Yes, it was just, it was sort of like a baby moon. And yeah. we came back and then the case had changed in that week that we were gone. And it oh, was wow. no longer like a current option for us to adopt right away. And so they, but then we were Did you take in. the kids with we you to Costa Rica? We didn't take the kids. So where were them. they? So um, it's called respite care. It's, oh, I have heard of this. It's basically like longer term babysitting for foster parents because you can't just leave your child overnight yeah. with anybody. anybody. And so we left them with some friends from church that were fostering also. Oh, wow. And so they, I mean, I, I don't know how we would have, we were just overwhelmed after those first three months that if we hadn't gotten away, I don't know if we would have been able to think with a clear head, like, this is what we want. We want to do this. I, I, I know working with you, you always look like you're about to snap. You know I mean? <laughs> oh, no. I remember. Like, oh, oh, no. Just like, you know, like there are certain people like, you know, like, okay, just give them space. Like, <laughs> that was you. <laughs> that was you for a minute. Especially at the beginning. Yeah. I was very overwhelmed. Yeah. But I mean, like, it's fine. Like. <laughs> Like the, dealing with people, you always have stuff. And I didn't, I didn't even know at that point what yeah. was going on. There was a whole lot happening behind the scenes. Well, I mean, yeah, like, like I think it's, you know, conflict at work, conflict in, in general. We forget to ask what's going on at home. Right. And that's, that's something I always oh, want to get Oh, man, were we at. always on bad terms and I didn't know? No. Okay, good. Not at all. <laughs> exactly. Like, like I, so here's my point. Like, if if you were just on edge, like, like you were all the time, and I didn't, like, give you space and I didn't uh give you a little bit of grace for what was going on at, <laughs> or asking the question of what's going on at home then i would have thought you were a terrible human being oh, and you know what i'm saying like all that b- point being said is we need to ask what's going on at home for these people that we have conflict with and not even conflict just whenever if they're going through a rough time it's probably not you it's just like maybe they're having a hard time maybe they're going through a divorce i didn't know these things about me caleb i'm learning right now like what <laughs> i look like i'm about to snap no like everybody everybody can get <laughs> to that point everybody. i probably was especially if it was like a year into me working because yeah. that's about when we got them and it was rough for a minute there but uh, that's everybody everybody has bad days <laughs> everybody has those days yes please keep that on <laughs> please keep that on <laughs> Okay, so you got back from Costa Rica and we're like, we're going to adopt. Yes, we were and like, then, it's happening. Let's do it. And then the case changed. Um, the parents had kind of not been involved in the case at that point. And so that they, they kind of sh- showed up and, and so it became more of a of a, a waiting game. Did they show they, up to because they heard you wanted to adopt? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. Not really sure. Hmm. Because was it like maybe they're in the foster care system? I just wonder, you know, maybe the parents were like, okay, they're in the foster care system. We still have a chance. We don't need to rush things. And then when they made, maybe they heard you want to adopt, they're like, okay, we need to push it. They could have. I knew they were looking for other family members. And so they could have been, you know, they could have heard through that grapevine that they were looking for other family members. And so um, CPS keeps the case open. Their goal is to close within a year. 
but sometimes it can be up to like a year and a half or two years, depending on, but they, they give biological parents at least a year to kind of get their ducks in a row. So how was it? I know uh, everybody talks about how the kids have these attachment problems and the kids are going, and I get that, like they do have problems and then because of all the homes that they're in, the, the foster care issues. But I know for us, whenever we were doing it, it was very hard not to get attached to these three kids that we were fostering, oh. you know, to not like, okay, these, these could be my children. So how did you balance like taking care of them as a mom while also thinking the back of your head, they could leave? Oh, it was so hard. Every time that we would hear about this new family member, this new person, I would just fall apart a little bit. And I mean, even with the one, the little girl that we have right now, Mia is like, mommy, I wanted to stay with us forever. Is she going to stay with us? Is she going to leave? And and now we have like older kids involved and it's even harder because we're thinking about them and their future. And like, you know, I'm totally attached. So how do you balance that though? How do you, you is there a way? Pick up your pieces if it doesn't work out, I guess. Hmm. But that's what happened with us. Like the, some uncle out of nowhere just showed up and and like, yeah, we want these kids. And the next day they were gone. We all cried for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. But but it's just like if you hold back, then are they really getting the love that you would want your child to have? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I just I love them with everything in me. And if they had left, I would have fallen apart. But I wouldn't have regretted anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I held back and they weren't they didn't know what it was like to be truly loved because of that i would regret that is that personality specific or probably yeah oh yeah i'm there are some foster parents that have been doing it for like two dozen years and i'm sure that they are able to manage their feelings mm. a little bit better than i am but oh i can't imagine attachment is so key to healthy relationships and specifically with kids mm-hmm. Absolutely. and it seems like it's always being broken in our society today attachment issues and um, and it can cause a whole bunch of psychological issues going like later on. Mm-hmm. And Re- so break that down for me. Well, you know, like that analogy I talked about earlier with string. the string, they're always going to remember those people. And even if it was for a short moment, Oh, someone loved me. And then I got placed in another home and these mm. people didn't really love me. Or like I was with some, I was in a really good place. My mom was with me and she was doing really good and they took me away anyways. And I mean, that affects like, your relationships in the future that affects like i mean it just everything everything yeah yeah a strong home is so key to having a strong society absolutely and it doesn't seem like we have a strong home society right now i would agree with that too you know i don't know if, i don't know how you want to categorize it but for me it just seems like the breakdown of the family is uh, the source of a lot of this and we see a lot of these issues uh, played out extensively in the foster care system. And it's cyclic too. I mean, you know, you grow up and you're in foster care, you're more likely to have a child early and that child be in foster care and to mm. repeat the same habits. And so it's all about learning to break the cycle, whether it's like your the adoptive parents helping a child to see that their future can be different or a child taking ownership of where they're at as a teenager in foster care and deciding that their life is going to be different. Mm. How, how do you, now that you have your uh, adopted kids, how do you instill that in them? Those mindsets. Um, we talk about how families keep each other safe and how our family is forever. And 
you know, recently Mia asked me why she couldn't live with her biological parents. And I told her that all kids deserve to be safe and that sometimes mommies and daddies can't keep their kids safe and they have to go live somewhere else. And, you know, their past will always be a part of them. Mm-hmm. And we can't change that. And I don't want to change that because... So you're very open with them about the adoption Very stuff. open. They don't necessarily understand, like, the term adoption mm-hmm. quite yet. But uh, are we called our adoption day a family day? Mm-hmm. Gonzalez family day. And we had a big celebration and we went on vacation after that. And and so, but I, I, I mean, there's three of them. So very high chance that one of them is going to go looking for some biological family. And I want to be able to be like... We mm. did everything that we could to keep you safe, but still keep you connected to where you came from. Mm. Jeez, that's intense. It's a lot. <laughs> and it hurts. It does. <laughs> I cry a lot thinking about it. I'm thinking about it in my soul. And I'm like, this is what I'm saying. And this is what I totally believe and want. But selfishly, like, they just, they're mine. And yeah. I just want to protect them from everything. You know, a lot of people have a strong passion to adopt. I know all my friends, um, I have, a lot of my friends have a strong passion to adopt. My wife and I have talked about it, um, but you know, it seems like you, it was a little different for you because you didn't have this huge passion. You felt called um, to a foster and then the fostering led to adoption. And now you have a family of four kids at this point, right? Four. Well, we have five with our five. youngest that we're fostering. That's right. <sighs> five kids. <laughs> that's a, uh. Our car's full. We don't have any more space for it. <laughs> but that's still like, that's unheard of. It's a very unique story. Yes, it is. And. I just, man, I love it. Yeah. No regrets. Okay. So as we close, imagine you're the advisor to the president and he said, I want to fix the foster care system. We would talk about resources. Right. What's another, like two things that you would add to like specifically to fix the system. It could be done tomorrow. It could be done tomorrow. Besides money, I would say, focusing on finding families that are able to take in kids and knowing that it's for the short term because going into it for adoption really takes away from the goal of reunification. Hmm. So would you make two different organizations? I think that there there's, you can do matched adoption from children whose parents' rights were removed. So they're legally free children in foster care. And I, you know, I might've phrased that wrong. I just, you have to go into fostering knowing that the kids are loved by their parents and that the goal is for them to go home. And so maybe I would ask for more resources for the biological parents to get help. Because yes, they can check into rehab, but they can just check out the next day. And and I mean, I know you've seen how powerful addiction can be and, and, you know, the anger that leads to abuse. And so just focusing on biological parents and mm. motivating them long-term to change their lives for their children. I like that. I like, cause there's a huge push for how do you make the, uh, the children's lives better, which is good. But it seems like the source of the issue is the family. Yeah, for so sure. So if we can have more resources to, for, to fix the family, then man, that could fix a lot of things. And I mean, you can't fix someone who doesn't want to be fixed. Yeah. And so it's it's yeah. you can't eradicate the foster care system. Like it's going to be there. Mm. But sometimes people feel like they're stuck because they don't have resources. Mm-hmm. Real, real resources. And 
I think that maybe if they felt like healing was in reach, then maybe hmm. they would push more for it. What's another one? Another one would the dust. <laughs> another one would be uh, more programs, sort of like uh, Young Life. I know that that's What's that? it's a it's a Christian based can uh, like uh, high school ministry that people come in and they basically spend time with young adults that are at risk. And I think that if there was a program like that for older kids that were in foster care, then maybe they could see their future differently because I, I, from working in foster care, like my after program that I used to work in all of these young ladies and gentlemen age out of foster care and felt so hopeless. And I wish that they had had someone that walked alongside them and said, hey, your life can be different than it is right now. Community is huge. Yeah. That's massive. Okay. Well, okay. Lastly, um, for somebody who is thinking about fostering, maybe they're thinking about adoption, maybe they're on the edge. What would you tell them? I would tell them that there are several ways to be involved. You can become a foster parent. You can do respite care, which like I had mentioned earlier is babysitting for a foster family. And that's a really good way to get your feet wet. If you don't know, if you don't know that this is for you, um, it's so, so helpful to foster families to be able to have that break because there are rules about taking foster kids out of the state and out of the country. And so for them to be able to kind of get a break and then come back to what they're doing. And it's, it's so good for the people providing respite to be able to say, Hey, this is something I want to do in the future, or this is not. Um, another way is to befriend a foster family. Like, I don't think I had any friends that fostered or friends that were in foster care growing up. Mm. And that would have really changed my perspective, Mm -hmm. um, or sending a meal to somebody that, you know, that's a foster family. And then if you're in Texas, uh, looking for different agencies, Um, or I'm uh, regardless of what state you're in, you can kind of just Google foster care agencies in the state of Texas going online. A lot of them have interest meetings, um, for their different agencies. And so it gives you like a two hour overview of what the steps are, what it kind of looks like. Hmm. And so that's a really good first step. If you are kind of interested in getting more information, how do you become a respite family? It's about half of the training as a foster parent. Okay. So you can maybe three ish months, three to five months. Yes. And you might even be able to do it quicker because okay. it's, you don't have to do like the home study. I don't think you might, it might be like a smaller version um, of the home study. And so it's a shorter, okay. less commitment, but then you're halfway there. If you decide that you do want to foster. That's awesome. Yeah. Any last words? No. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> so thank you for letting me share our story of just kind of where we're at and I hope that it inspires somebody to find a way to love another child that is in need. Thank you very much, Ashley. Have a good one. You too.